right? I'm going to talk about my favorite pet subject. It's something that I have strong views on, as people know, and it is something that really upsets me when I think about how poorly this is done worldwide. And the topic here is resumes and resume rewriting. And a, and a couple of things annoy me about resume rewriting. The first one is that I think that I mean, I've seen many services on the internet that offer to rewrite your resume. You know, they'll do a first cut of your resume and they'll rewrite it for you and they'll do, you know, two rounds of editing and so on. And the point I want to stress here, and I make this unequivocal, there should be no debate about what I'm going to say. You cannot properly rewrite your resume in two edits. For people who work with us, you know that it takes us about seven to eight edits to rewrite your resume. And these are not basic edits. It's a painful exercise for us to rewrite your resume. And I'll tell you why it's a painful exercise. I'm going to talk you through the logic, firstly, of why resume rewriting is so important. Secondly, how it should be done. And thirdly, you know, how we do it. And just so you know, we're not punting a service here because we don't offer resume rewriting services. I mean, people who write to us and say, you know, Michael, or whoever they write to in the firm and say, we would like you to rewrite our resume, willing to pay for it. We always point out we don't do this. But we can recommend other services, although we cannot vouch for them. And we have never used them. But it's important that you look for the following in the service. Um, so here is why resume rewriting is so important, right? When... Now you got to look at it from this perspective. Forget about your resume. When people think about their res when people think about how resumes are perceived, they always think about how their own resume is perceived. Do not consider how your own resume is perceived because you are biased towards your resume. What I would like you to do is go on the internet and get the resume of someone who graduated from a school that you think is a mediocre school. Right? I want you to do that. I want you to go onto the internet, and it's very easy to find these things. Get the resume of someone you think graduated from a mediocre school. And I mean, if you go to Stanford, you'll probably think all schools are mediocre. If you go to you know, IESC in Spain, you'll probably think the rest of the Spanish schools are mediocre. If you go to Ivy in Canada, you'll think everyone else is mediocre. But the point is, it's all relative. I don't care which school you go to, but go to another school that you think is mediocre compared to you, to your school and download one of the resumes and then look at it. That's the feeling someone gets when they see your resume, right? It's not formatted in the correct way. They're not brainwashed to do things the way you were taught to in your, in inverted commas, elite school. It doesn't look right. There's no prestige factor here. The school doesn't sound impressive. They worked at average firms. The resume is not formatted well and so on. Your resume is who you are. It's an electronic copy of who you are. And let me, I'm going to stress this point clearly. You know, we've had candidates who have had a snowball's chance in hell of getting interviews at the major firms, let alone getting into investment banks and so on. I mean, just a miserable, miserable resume and miserable experience. And they, luckily, they've come to us in a, before they started the MBAs. So they came to us well before they started the MBA and say, look, in 12 months, I'm going to make a push for interviewing. I need your help. I need to totally overall what I've done here. And we go through this process of reinventing who they are, right? Remember something, when you send an application into a firm, assuming you've never had contact with that firm, you know, you've never sent emails, you've never spoken to them, the first time they're going to see you is when they pull up your resume. In fact, the resume is looked at before the cover letter. A dazzling resume totally changes the impression of who you are. I mean, your resume 
is the only thing they know about you. Your resume can convert you into whoever you want to be. If you want to look like you, you're one of the most elite thinkers in the world, your resume can convey that, provided you take the time to start building in the substance to show that. If you want to convey the image of someone who just doesn't care and went to a mediocre school, your resume can easily show that, trust me. And at the end of the day, if you want to look like someone who is just interested in consulting but really didn't put in the time, your resume can show that as well, right? The key thing you have to understand here is that a good written, a well-written resume can dramatically overall who you are. And we've had some candidates work with us for six months to get their resume right. And that's not an exaggeration, six months. We'll be working with them for six long months to get their resume right because we are not happy with it. We'll write out a bullet and we say, look, I don't know exactly what's wrong with this bullet, but it just doesn't make sense to me. We, For one candidate, we wrote a resume, we signed it up, and then I came back and I said, you know what? I'm not going to give her a name. She's joined McKinsey, but, and she's got a very unusual background, but I'm going to say that, you know what? Um, I thought about this and I don't like your resume and I'm going to redo it. And she said, but why? Everyone says it's such a good resume. I say, yes, but who cares what everyone says? You know, they are not the people who are vetting this. So we read it, a resume, rewrote it, six month process. She got in. A resume is, I think, the best resume we've ever put out. Um, other candidates, we finish it earlier, two months. Other candidates, a month. But a good resume takes time. And we've had candidates who will write back to us and say, you know, uh, these are my edits. Are we ready to move on to the cover? And say, no, it's going to take us a long time to get your resume right. And this is how your, re and this is why resumes cannot be done in two sessions. Let me explain. I'm going to give you a very simple reason why. I'm going to read out something on someone's resume that I saw, and I want you to think about how this sounds. You know, there's, it, it, it could sound different ways to, to, to different people. So the key thing is, you know, I want to show you why it takes so much time to put together a very good resume. So on, on the resume of one person, it said, co-led the establishment of a streamlined, unified, and integrated planning processes for XYZ companies, right? And I think to myself, imagine if I had received these res this resume electronically, I'd never spoken to the candidate. How do I know what streamlined, unified, and integrated means? It's absolute jargon. It means nothing. If it means different things to everyone, it means nothing to no one, right? And I remember thinking to myself, okay, so I have to speak to the candidate to understand this, right? And when I spoke to the candidate, we're going to quite a big debate here. The candidate was telling me, well, this meant that it is efficient. And I said, okay, that's fine, but why don't you say it's, it led to efficiencies? What kind of efficiencies? Was it more output for less input? Was it greater cost saving? What kind of efficiency? And then the candidate came back to me five minutes later and said, no, actually, it means it was lent to more greater efficiency and effectiveness. And then I pointed out to the candidate and said, but do you realize effectiveness and efficiency means different things? So the mere fact that you're using different terminology here and you wrote it should tell you that it, it's going to be misconstrued by other people. So here you have a consulting partner and you've got a very senior person, another consulting firm, debating what this term means. Imagine someone else who hasn't had time to think about this, who doesn't know you, doesn't have your background. How will they interpret this term? So the point is when we go through a resume, we go through each point with the candidate you know, understand everything. If you said you co-led, what does that mean? Tell me what you mean when you said co-led. What is your definition of co-led? Did you do half of the work? Did you do 50% of the work? How did you define what is 50% of the work? And it's a painful exercise for candidates. I'll tell you, it's like, it's like, it's like 
removing this veil on their past and understanding everything. And I always point out to Candice, we're going to ask you tough questions. We're going to ask you tough questions because we need to know everything to be able to position you in the best light. It's a little bit like a lawyer client relationship. Now tell us everything. I don't care if you've done nothing for three years. Tell me that now so that I know there's a gap here and I can help you fix it. And two things will happen here. Candice will become defensive and try to cover it up, which is obviously going to fail because if you try to cover it up, I know you're covering it up, but you're not giving me anything to work with. So it's not going to be fixed. And I'm still going to keep on coming back to that point because I know what it takes to fix a resume. The other thing you have to understand is that, so that's the first thing, right? It takes a long process to understand everything on your resume. But what about what's not on your resume? Imagine you send your resume online for um, editing and you forget to put onto your resume that you were a national Olympic figure skater for the, uh, for the Czech for the for for Czechoslovakia for the Czech Republic sorry Czechoslovakia no longer exists for the Czech Republic so imagine you don't put that in your resume imagine you send in your resume online for editing and because you don't speak to the person or you only spoke to them once they don't know that now i must be honest with you and this is not an exaggeration for the candidates that go on to do great things with their resumes it is always because we find something that they took off their resume that they didn't think was important. Like a guy who told me the other day that he spent two years helping to teach children with cerebral palsy. I thought, my God, why do you leave that off your resume? That's the thing you need. Looking at your resume, it was clear to me that you're too much of a techie and this can produce a totally other side of you that we've never seen before. Or the time of the... Um, um, you know, lady who left off that she was a ballerina or the time someone left off that they uh, were f played for the U.S. Olympic volleyball team. I mean, really, those are the things that are going to get you, provided you're strong in the other areas, of course. But the point is this. When you buy into these services that look at your resume online, they're not going to be able to pick up those things. Without exaggeration, it's going to take about seven to eight iterations of writing your resume to get out the first draft. Think about that very carefully. Just to get out the first draft, right? We will go through it seven to eight times. And it's a painful exercise. I'll ask you questions about what do you mean by, you know, you say that, for example, let me just read off something of a real resume. You say that, um, you, impl you presented at a conference on best practices, what best practices, why were you invited, why did you present, how many people attended. You authored a strategic business case. You know, does it imply the other business cases are not strategic? And you consolidate a corporate office looking. What does consolidated mean to you? Did you bring them all together? Did you, uh, what did you do with the other locations? What did you do with the assets in the other locations? So we ask all these really painful, difficult questions, which to be fair to you, it actually prepares you for the McKinsey PEI, which you'll eventually face. So the point is you cannot do resume rewriting um, quickly. It's, it's a very difficult process. And what happens is that when people get their resumes back, it's totally different. We, re we write it in English. That's the other rule, write in English. For some reason, people like to put in jargon, subjective terminology, ambiguous phrases, vague phrases. Um, you don't want to do these things. You know, 
You want to write in simple English. Don't use terminology that is only understood by your industry, by yourself, or by your company. You must use terminology and phrases that can be understood by anyone, anywhere, without context. People always like to tell me when I have this debate with them, you know, Michael, let me give you the context. And I've stopped them right there and there. And I say, well, well, if you have to give me the context, it's automatically wrong. Because when someone reads your resume, you are not going to be there to provide the context. And if you need to provide the context, then you are wrong. What you should do is write in such a way that a context is not needed or the context is built into the bullet point. Some people don't like it, others do, but the point is that is the reality, right? You have to do it this way. The other thing I point out is that I do have one preference for resumes and that's the Harvard format. I think it's the best format for writing resumes and there's a couple of them out there. Um, go for the MBA version of the resumes. That's the best version for writing your resume. Nothing comes even close. I'm sure every school, Kellogg has a book out on resumes. Wharton's okay, but I don't like Wharton. I don't like Stanford. I like the Harvard format. It's not has nothing to do with Harvard. It's the format is clean. The format is pure. It forces you to focus on the content, right? Now, how should you write your resumes if you're going to rewrite it? Well, I think the first thing you want to do is drop it into the right format because having the right format helps you focus on the right thing. So I would say get a copy of the Harvard format and drop it into that format, right? Do not change the formatting. It pains me when people change the formatting. They will use the right format from Harvard, then they'll damage the format. Do not change the format. It is not difficult to print out two copies, the original format and the one with your version transcribed in to see whether they look the same. If they don't look the same, then redo it, right? The thing with the Harvard format is that it borders on insanity. It's so good that it comes so close to being insane. If you if you change the formatting just a little, it can look really ugly. So don't change the formatting and it'll look fine. The other thing you have to do is, I think that resume rewriting is something that not everyone can do because you need an experienced eye to do it, right? So you have some options here. You should not pay for resume rewriting because to be honest a good resume rewriting where you have to pay for it is going to cost you more than $250. It'll take cost you a good couple of maybe close to a thousand if you look at the time that goes into it. So you don't have to do that. In fact there's no service that does it because most people don't know how to do resumes. I would recommend that you work with a colleague who works at a consulting firm who really cares about you. Don't just write out to anyone at a consulting firm and say, will you look at my resume? Because no one cares. To write resumes well, it takes effort. And to put in the effort, someone has to really care about you. And most people don't care. So you have to find someone who is willing to put the time in to write out your resume well. And to give you meaningful comments and is willing to talk you through what they mean by the comments. A lot of the times we'll put comments in, but we cannot explain the rationale behind it. So we'll always tell candidates, if you don't understand what is here, you're welcome to talk to us and we'll explain what it is and what we're trying to say here. And that's what you have to do. You have to find someone who's going to, to give you this feedback. The other thing you must do is um, be very wary of being caught into, um, I would say, cultural traps. Certain countries have certain ways of writing resumes and people say, you know, this is the way resumes are written in this country all the time. I say, sure. But have, you, but have you ever tried writing it in a different way? And they'll say, no, but you know. We've had this candidate, we've had, we've had this debate many times. Different countries have different formats and we will obviously work within the confines of that. But even within the confines, 
of certain countries, you can still make your work a whole lot better. I've yet to see a resume that cannot be rewritten to look better. I, To be honest, I've yet to see that. Most resumes can be writ written extensively better. The other piece of advice I would give you is put your education at the top. I don't, it doesn't matter if you are the general manager of GE's division, you put your education at the top. If you're the general manager of GE's, one of their divisions, you're not going to be submitting your resume to anyone. Headhunters will be coming to you. So for people who are presenting their, preparing their resumes they are going to push their resumes under other people and your education should go first other points I'm going to give you some general points about resumes and um, I've said this before the um, vice president of something is the CEO of nothing and I'm paraphrasing uh, one of um, the blog writers on firms consulting Terence who one of the partners who writes one of the blog postings here and wrote the book partnership for us uh, he always says and I do believe that you know the, the vice president of of something is the, is the present of nothing. We want to see leadership and consulting firms want to see leadership and being a vice president, not a leader, it means you're a follower of a leader. So drop those things. Runner up in case competitions, winners in case competitions means less than nothing. This will come as a surprise to many people, but believe me, it means nothing. So if you want to win a case competition, that's wonderful, but it means nothing on your resume. Be achievement focused every single bullet point must talk about the context the action you took and the result of the action you took i actually had a debate with one candidate who put in there that she joined a team and the team saw an increase of five million euros in sales and i asked her okay what did you do to contribute she said i did something did you contribute the bulk of the five million and she said no and then I said, but then you can't put it in your resume. And she said, but why not? I mean, I was part of the team. The revenue grew five million. And I said, okay, good. But how do I know what you contributed? And you have to be very specific about what you did and what the team did. We're not interested in what the team did. We're interested in what you did. So you, all bullets must be focused on you. Detail. I want to know names, numbers. Don't tell me a large company. Give me the size of the revenue. Don't tell me a few companies. Give me the numbers of companies. Don't tell me you increase costs by five by you managed to increase cost you managed to say reduce costs tell me by how much you managed to reduce costs never ever ever put roles and responsibilities no one cares about roles and responsibilities right if your job on a project was to build a business case and it, the achievement is not building the business case that was the expectation was you would build a business case and i see that a lot with people they'll tell me well my job was to build a strategy and I built a strategy. That's my achievement. That's not your achievement. That is the expectation. The achievement is what was the benefit to the company as a result of you developing the strategy. If you just put down what you did, that's your roles and responsibilities. No one wants to see roles and responsibilities, right? Also, don't spend a lot of time telling me what you did. I want to hear mostly what is the result of what you did. Results should be numerical as far as possible. If they cannot be numerical, that's okay. But I still want to see the achievement. You, if, you, if you don't have an achievement, you need to very think very carefully about what you actually did when you're in that company. If you cannot come across, come, develop one achievement from a few years or even a year of working in a certain company, you've got to ask yourself, what did you do? Did you just do the work? Did you achieve nothing? Why not? Remember something. This is not me being difficult. This is a trial run for the McKinsey process and the BCG process and the Bain process. They will ask you difficult questions. They'll ask you, so exactly what did you do? In fact, McKinsey will ask you, what did you actually tell the person? Don't tell me what you think you told them. Give me a direct quote. So you must be ready for those discussions and the preparation for vetting your resume is just that. 
you know, we, we, we vet candidates through their resume. We prepare you for what's going to come through your resume. Your resume is, your, is basically your life story. And you can think of yourself as going in for an interview and you're being vetted by the consulting firm and we want to do the vetting before you actually get in there. The other thing to remember is that the number of bullets are totally irrelevant to me. I don't really care about the number of bullets. I care about the quality of the bullets. People always say, how many bullets do I need? I don't really care. I would like to see at least three bullets, to be honest, of really well thought through stuff. And I would appreciate if some of the clients commented on this podcast about how they felt going through the process. I know a lot of people, it was difficult for them, but they've seen the value of how we change things and how we go through it. Finally, additional data is important. Do not ignore it, right? The section at the end where you talk about the skills, hobbies, and so on. Again, for hobbies, don't tell me that you're an avid reader. I'm, you know, you're literate. You are an avid reader by default. So don't put that in. When you talk about your hobbies, I want to see interesting things. Like, for example, you moved to Cambodia. You led a program to raise money to build hospitals for impoverished families on the Mekong River or something like that. I don't know where that is, but I think it's close to Cambodia. I also want to see examples of leadership. If you play sports, I want to see examples of you being the captain, of you playing in a league. The additional data section is taken for granted and it kills me, it pains me when I see that. The additional data section is what will get you the interview at the end of the day. Sure, you graduated with a 3.9 GPA from Wharton, you, wor- you, started, you worked at Teach for America, you went to the World Bank, you helped families in Russia find funding for whatever. Yeah, great, you know what, there are a thousand people that have that. It doesn't distinguish you. The only part of your resume that can truly distinguish you, truly distinguish you, all other things being equal, of course, is the additional data. I've brought in people for interviews when I was a consultant and even a partner just because of the additional data. I did everything and I'd lose all interest. And then this one guy would tell me, well, it took a year off to camp across Afghanistan to raise money. And I thought, well, that is interesting. I need to meet this person. The other thing you need to consider is that when you write your resume, don't write your resume based on what you have will submit today. Write your resume based on what you will submit at the date you will submit it. That's very important. For the candidates that really want a structure in their life, and we've had candidates like that, you know, they really messed up when they come to us because they've had no guidance. And I tell them, I'm not going to write your resume now. I'm going to write your resume for what I expect to see in a year. So I'll write out the resume for what I want them to do in the next year as well. So under, for example, let's assume they're going to Harvard to um, do the MBA. And I'll tell them, well, you need to start a club or you need to start some kind of publication or some kind of newspaper. So I'm going to put that in. Founder and president of the XYZ newspaper while at Harvard. They've never done it, right? But it gives them direction. A resume is a far more sophisticated and elegant tool than it is currently used to be. We use resumes to give people direction. The only time, obviously, we can use their resume as a forward guide is if you come to us early enough. I mean, if you come to us with, let's say, three months to go, four months to go, it's impossible to do that. But if you come to us a year before you go, in fact, the best candidates are the ones who go to Ivy. Um, uh, Richard Ivey in Canada, the ones who go to IESC, the ones who go to, um, sorry, not IESC, the ones who go to IE, the ones who go to the one-year programs. One year gives us enough time. If you 
we do have candidates who go to two-year programs and come to us at the beginning. Then we also have plenty of time to craft what they should be. And there we use the resume not just as a tool to describe who they are, but as a weapon to guide their progress through the MBAs. And we'll tell them, okay, we're going to write in here what we want you to achieve. At the end, if you don't achieve it, we can take it out, but use this as a guide. So we'll tell them, okay, graduated first in the class in this course, started this club, and they use it as a template for everything. We even write out what we think the internship should be. We look at their profile and say, okay, this kind of internship is what you need to fill an obvious gap that your profile raises. And it becomes a sophisticated tool to guide them. And I am very I would be I would be not amiss to say that I'm very proud of those candidates who we took in uh, with very little guidance and we just you know, it was hard for those candidates. It wasn't easy. This is not an easy conversation we have with people. We don't sit to them and say, you know what, um, Let's create a name. Let's, um, you know, we, you know, Ava. This is not, um, this is not something you need to worry about. Do it if you can. Uh, just enjoy yourself. No, we'll start the conversation on a Friday. Usually, I book all these update calls on a Friday. I say, okay, Ava, what have you done? Let's go through your resume. How are you doing on each of these objectives? What are you doing to get this internship? Who have you networked with? Why have you not networked with them, Ava? What do you need to do to network? And excuses will come up as they invariably, and I'll say, okay, these are the reasons you gave me. I can think these are very easy to fix. What do you need us to do to help you get there? A lot of these things you can do yourself. You tell, you're telling me that you know nothing about the, I don't know, let's say the um, energy sector, but you need to get an internship in the energy sector for what you want to do. So what's stopping you from reading up on the energy sector? Why have you not contacted people in the energy policy unit at the Kennedy School of Government to figure out what needs to happen? Okay, so what about um, this newspaper club that you want to, to run? Right, so sh common excuse as well, the club needs to be voted in. You know, you need to be voted as president. I don't have the skills, so why don't you start your own club? Start your own club, canvas, make sure you're the president. What stops you from building a club that's totally unique? So we have this long-standing discussion and we guide them. And what I would tell people is that, you know, look at your resume as two parts. The one is just to craft who you are. And if, you know, if, you, if you're finished MBA school, and so on, um, you can, your resume can only be crafted to reflect what you've accomplished. But on the other hand, even if you're an experienced hire and you plan to apply a year or even six months from now, we can tell you what you need to do to make yourself look better. In fact, we have a, a very, very, I think, promising, I really like the guy, he's an experienced hire from Australia, um, great guy. I mean, he, he's really good. He barely, he barely not, he just just didn't get the offer the last time I thought. I thought he was really good. Um, and I think he's definitely going to get an offer soon. And he asked me, you know, Michael, what do I need to do in the next six months to guarantee I get this called in for an interview? I said, well, two things. I want you to think of the two things you can put into your resume now, two bullets that will show McKinsey that you have not just quit and you're not just waiting for an interview from them, but you have options and you're accomplishing things. So there, we're, again, we're using his resume as a weapon, as a tool to guide him in his future development. So hopefully what I, I've managed to convey in this, um, in, in this session is that resumes are much more nuanced and much more sophisticated and much more difficult to prepare than you think they are. When I say difficult, I don't mean difficult that you can't do it, but it's difficult in the sense the amount of effort that's required is quite significant. And I would hope that candidates take sufficient time 
to prepare their resumes very well. I mean, a well-written resume can change your life. In fact, it will change your life. But you have to be willing to do two things. You have to take the feedback because the feedback will... Someone who really cares about you is going to give you tough feedback. If, then, if someone's not giving you tough feedback on your resume, then don't be happy about it because believe me, your resume can be rewritten, right? And it takes someone who cares about you to give you tough feedback. Do not pay for services they just rewrite your resume because unless they're doing it eight revisions then they're not rewriting your resume second use your resume as a weapon to guide you don't write your resume for what you want it to look like right now if you're applying in six months or a year write down your resume now what you want to achieve in a year's time and use it as a guideline to get there that's what we do. you know we have candidates who when they when they join McKinsey or BCG they come to us and say hey you know what we want to I want you to I want to appoint, I want to put you on a retainer to guide us and I said okay and they say, okay, we're gonna, I'm only going to spend three years at McKinsey and I'm going to go somewhere else. So when we start planning out the career and deciding hey, what are the kind of projects they need to get into, of course, they don't have a lot of control of it, but they do if they perform well. And we write up the resume for the next five years. It's a very powerful way of managing your life. You write your resume for where you want to go and you will get there, provided that you are willing to take the tough feedback and you're willing to roll with the punches as it comes up. And believe me, there will be obstacles. It's not easy to do this, right? I remember speaking to a candidate from, I think, Kellogg, I think it was. I was quite impressed, you know, one of the few black candidates going into Kellogg, impressive background. I thought she had worked her way up. And I told her, look, your resume is good, but this is what you need to do to differentiate yourself. And she said, no, it's too much work. No one else is doing it. I said, fine, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But that's what it requires. Now, I don't know if she managed to get interviews. I haven't heard much from her since then. But my guess is she'll probably get interviews, but she won't get an offer. Because while she's good enough to get interviews, your resume is still considered once an offer is being made, and I don't think that anything differentiates her. Um, so use your resume both as a proper reflection of who you are today and take the time to prepare it and as a tool slash weapon to guide you in terms of where you want to go. As always, I am happy to post any comments, any responses to questions, and I welcome your feedback. Thank you.